everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. Each one of us has a picture. It is deep in your subconscious mind. It's an inner self-image. And that picture is so strong that it literally dictates who you are and what it is that you attract into your life. And by the time the average person is 35, they are basically a program. It's a program that's running you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Today, I'm going to tell you that today is going to be, I think, a really important podcast for everyone to listen to because it has a lot to do with whether or not we want to play a bigger game in life and in business. And to that, I say, hell yeah, I want to play a bigger game. I'm always trying to aspire to do that. And I'm often wondering if there are things that go on in my brain that keep me from achieving some of the things I really want to achieve. So we're really going to get into with whether you're happy with your self-image or if maybe you're stuck or you're plateaued and you can't seem to advance personally or professionally in a way that's really meaningful to you. I mean, do you want to make this year be the year that you achieve all those goals that you've been dreaming of, but for some reason you just cannot kind of get that ball all the way down the field. So I think that our guest today is going to be someone you absolutely want to listen to. Her name is Stephanie Hessler, and she is a high-performance coach. So she actually helps high-achieving leaders who want to advance their careers rapidly and create a vision for others to follow. And often these people, too, do get stuck, and they need help. Like, we're all human, right? So there's life stuff that's always happening around us, and there are things that happen to us in our lives that may kind of chip away at certain things that we want to do in our vision and our ability to accomplish that. Stephanie guides her clients through a transformational coaching journey called the Bliss Accelerator. I love that. Bliss. I love the word bliss, right? (laughs) Just saying it makes me feel blissful. Um, And that helps her clients achieve or turn their goals into reality. She's had a varied background. She's been in the investment business on Wall Street, Uh, She also went to the Wharton School, so she's a clever bunny, and she's going to share a lot of her insights today. So welcome, Stephanie, to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Thank you for sharing your time with us today and your expertise. Oh, Kimberly, thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here with you, and I'm so honored to uh, to be your guest today. Well, thank you. So you're now, you know, a high-powered coach to help people get unstuck, which is a common problem for many of us. It's, you know, we are not consistent humans, right? So we have ebbs and flows. So tell us about how you got to be a high performance coach. What was your journey to get there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you the the short version first, and then I'll be sure that in our conversation, I weave in the longer version as well. So I left the corporate world. I had worked in the investment business for most of my career, and I left the corporate world in 2009 and started a business thinking that, you know, starting a business would be easy. I had made it this far in my corporate career. I was a vice president. And I was so shocked to see how hard it was starting and growing a business. So I hired a mentor. And, you know, I do want to emphasize that I'm someone, you know, like you, Kimberly, I went through a very challenging time earlier in my in my life. So I I really was a big believer in in personal growth. But I hired a mentor and he taught me about self-image and I went much deeper in also understanding mindset and the power of our thinking. And my friends started to notice the difference in me. I mean, basically what I did was I identified my future self, who I wanted to become, and I started stepping into her. And that was really transformational for me. And in 2014, I then decided to launch my coaching business. So next year is actually my 10th year anniversary. And I've had the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of high achieving individuals since then. 
And I have seen some amazing transformations. So I know both firsthand and from my observations and experience with others, how powerful it is when we decide to look at our own habitual thinking and beliefs closely and change from the inside out. When you say that you hired a mentor, is was that like a coach or how do you hire a mentor? Because I think a lot of people want to have a mentor, but they really don't know how to go about finding that. I always say, like, look in your workplace. If there's someone there that you, you know, that you respect and admire, I would be bold and say, hey, do you want to mentor me? But just in general, if you're not in a place like that, or you're trying to start a business, how do you hire a mentor? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Well, I had already been sort of in a in coaching circles, so I was then exposed to this individual and I realized that he had knowledge and wisdom about success principles and that there are actually time-tested success principles. Highly effective people do certain things, right? So that was the first part of it. But the second part of it was that this individual exposed me to right thinking, how to use your mind correctly. And even though I had been to some of the best schools in the world, and I knew all that stuff like critical thinking and being evalu- you know, evaluating, synthesizing, good writing, nobody ever taught me how my mind works and how to use it effectively. So I'm not sure if mentor is exactly the right word. You know, often I describe myself as a teacher, even though I'm a coach, Mm -hmm. I guide my clients through a coaching journey. But what I'm also doing is in turn, these success principles and concepts that I learn, in turn, I teach them to to my clients. I think this is so intriguing. And I also think Like if you're out there listening and thinking, oh, this is all a bit, you know, airy fairy kind of amorphous, it's really Mm -hmm. not because you can be very competent in your career. But if you, you know, if you're very linear and you don't understand the power of your mind and the, the environment in which it creates for you to go out and accomplish things, then you're missing out because honestly, everything starts up here. In my, at least for me, I believe That's that right. I'm a big believer in self visualization and you know, visualizing what I want in the future and That's trying to right. figure out how to get there. But we have been often, I think, taught a more linear path about what success looks like or what we need to do to achieve certain things. And I'm not saying to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm saying there are some other things that are really, really important that are not so linear. And that is why I, I really wanted to get Stephanie on this podcast today, because I think what she is talking about, we're, you're going to walk away today with some tangible things that you can start implementing that's going to change your mindset. And that is what this whole thing is about. We talk, I mean, I talk a lot about women in finances and their professional growth because I think women in particular have had more obstacles along the way in accomplishing having a certain mindset just because of the historical narrative and how, you know, gender pay equity and all of the many, many things that I talk about all the time. So I'm not going to bore you with that, get on my soapbox, but we all know what they are. And so today... I want people to come away from this. And I was reading on your website, you had a few things that you try to help people achieve. And and I'm going to summarize them. Being confident, creating a vision that others will want to follow, financial freedom, which is part and parcel to being uh, stress-free and able to focus your thoughts and mind on other things besides worrying about money, and living with purpose, ease, and deeper meaning. Love that one. Purpose, ease, and deeper meaning. I love ease, and that's called grace. And one of the things that I personally pray for every day is that I can handle my day with grace and, you know, just keep my attitude in the right place. So I would like us to talk about the habits, the three or four habits that hold high achieving women back and how your self image drives all these outcomes. I'll let you start and then we can get into granular questions, but just lay the table for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if it's okay, uh, Kimberly, I'll just go into my own backstory a little bit to help to answer this question. Because as you explained, I went to 
really great schools. I'm very well educated. But for the most part, until I was about in my mid-30s, you know, I, I worked on billions of dollars of investments and transactions. I li- worked with high-level strategic teams. I was married, lived in a beautiful home. You checked all the boxes of what everyone exactly. says is the perfect life. Exactly. You had it all. I had it all. But inside of myself, I didn't feel successful. I didn't feel confident. I often felt very, very stressed and uncertain of myself. And I didn't feel like I had, I was purposeful and I didn't feel like I had a roadmap for my future. And, you know, Kimberly, similar to your story, I went through a really painful divorce, which I now can look back and say, boy, that painful experience was my wake-up call. And I think wake-up is a word on the front page of your book, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Everybody needs to wake up, right? Exactly. And I almost feel like the universe had to just beat me over the head for me to wake up to realize that so many people are under this illusion of that success happens from the outside in. No, it can only happen from the inside out. The most successful people are inspired from inside of themselves. So this journey was really what got me started. And I studied personal growth. I studied spirituality. I studied world religions because I was trying to figure myself out and figure out how does life work? Right? I went to all these great schools. Clearly, I didn't learn something important. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. Anybody who was looking at you and saw you had this beautiful home, probably, you know, wonderful marriage, children, the whole nine yards, everything looked picture perfect. That's our ideal. And I I still think in this day and age, that is what people kind of look on Instagram or Facebook or whatever the heck you're looking at, TikTok, and you're like, oh, you know, that's what I want to do. But really, a lot of times... People are very unhappy in those situations. I just want to ask you, and you know, with as much as you're willing to share, is like, what about that situation had you feeling unfulfilled? Was it too much with the job and the household responsibilities, or just when you finally got into the American dream or whatever dream we want to call this, you just looked at it and said, wow, this isn't like, this is kind of, it's not, it's not rich enough for me. Yeah. experience. I really, if I was really honest with myself, I felt like I was in the wrong life because I, the, so my, my then husband and I ended up getting divorced. We were really not, not a good match, even though by external measures, it looked like a good match. Right. right? On paper, you probably looked amazing. Exactly. Sure. He went to good schools too and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that was uh, one problem. But I think the other problem, you know, was I I had worked in fields. And for the most part, I enjoyed my work in the investment business and in finance. But it was so demanding. It was so all-consuming. And like I said, I didn't feel like I had a roadmap for how to get to my next level. I knew how to work hard. I was really good at that. But this goes to some of the issues that I just see coming up for women over and over again. And I want to emphasize, they do come up for men as well, right? Yeah. But I mean, if you work at an investment bank, or I worked at a big law firm for many years, and my daughter is at a big law firm now in New York City, very exact same experience, except I did it in the 80s and she's doing it now, 80s and 90s. But the, the thing is, the work ethic is you're not working 90 hours a week. 
not infrequently. And so then you're wondering, well, I wondered, which is why I eventually switched over to the business side. Where's my choice in this? I'm, I just feel like a hamster on a wheel. Like I don't, so then I'm going to get, maybe I become partner and then I get to do this forever uh, and work these hours and, you know, personal lives in that realm aren't very successful often because the work is so, so overwhelmingly, it just controls your whole life. So whether you're a man or a woman, this is a very hard thing to navigate. I mean, you can be ambitious, but at what cost, you know, at what cost? Mm -hmm. And that's, it's hard because if you've been inculcated with values to succeed and be successful and use your Ivy League education to go be successful, and then you go into one of these environments and you're like, okay, this sucks. And I have like, I've lost my will to live. I am soulless. Then it's like, oh my God. So how do I get out of this? Where am I going? Who am I? That's right. It's very complicated. So whether you're a man or a woman, this is hard. This is hard life stuff. Yes. But I'm a great example of someone who was externally driven, right? By what I thought I should be doing, by what maybe others expected of me. So one of the you know, most important aspects of my, you know, being on my knees, literally, how did I end up in this situation, was that I had to learn to really self-regulate, right? And that meant really tuning into myself and getting that clarity, well, what do I want? What's important for me? And so in my coaching journey, and this is a fundamental principle of success, is that You have got to get clear about what you want. And it's got to tie in with what you're also, quote unquote, hardwired to do. I truly believe that we are all here for something that is special and unique. For some people, it's easier to figure out than for others. But that's that self-regulation process of being really honest with yourself and tapping into that. And of course, you're also asked about self-confidence. Well, the more you learn to self-regulate, tune into yourself, your gifts, your capabilities, your talents, the more you're also going to trust yourself. And that is going to develop a sense of confidence. You know, confidence itself is not an easy thing to wrap our <laughs> hands around. Yeah, to right? wrap our hands around, yeah. Right? It's a, it's a complex topic, but knowing yourself is a very important step in that direction, in the direction of gaining confidence. Because, you know, people say, you know, be introspective, try to figure out what you want, who you are. How, how does somebody go about doing that? I mean, we can ponder, we can meditate, but what is it that we are asking ourselves? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that we are asking ourselves? And, you know, what are our values? I don't know. How would you recommend someone start this process and what should they be asking themselves and mm-hmm. giving themselves unvarnished truthful answers yes yeah well I love the un- unvarnished truthful answers because what I suggest to people and to my clients go through this process is that they've got to allow themselves to dream to really go into their heart and sometimes for very smart educated people that can be hard because we have very well developed analytical brains right so it means to allow yourself, Really allow yourself to dream about what it is that you would really, really love to be doing and having and experiencing more of in your life. And what I ask them to do is to build two lists, one personal and one professional. And ideally, if they can, to come up with at least 30 things. Oh, wow. Yeah, at least 30 things. And these 30 things, so 60 things total, Okay, especially for somebody who's very analytical, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes they can only come up with five things. But I don't know if I could come up with 60 (laughs) things, 30 and 30, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to task myself on that one. Right. But it it can be things like I want to, you know, I want to travel to Istanbul. I want to take swing dancing lessons, right? It's to really allow yourself, or I want to be more respected and valued in, you know, with my colleagues, to really have a sort of a, a, a an information blast of all those things that pop up in our minds, because they do for us, right? Throughout our days, we have this longing, you know, if you think about it, 
in the in the work that I do, I I often say there are three parts to us. There's your body, there's your mind, and your that you have, we all have spirit or that right. essence, right? And that part that is your essence, that's your spirit, wants to grow. That part of you wants to experience more of life, wants to experience more of your uniqueness. And so often when people come to see me and say they're feeling frustrated, right? It's that, well, listen to that frustration, right? It's that inside of you that's nudging away saying, I want better. I can be doing better. Because Kimberly, I know, I'm sure you know this, what we are really after is growth, right? I, I mean, the money correct. is great, the cars are great, the, all that stuff is but great. But do, do you think mm-hmm. a lot of people that you talk to, and I, I know I might be a person who's mm-hmm. in this camp and have to fight against it a lot, mm-hmm. but when you say growth, do you think a lot of people associate monetary success with growth? How do we dislodge that? It's not just monetary success. I mean, right. obviously we need to make money to have some sort of yes. uh, equilibrium in our lives. But when that becomes the controlling influence, we may be neglecting some of these things. So growth can be anything, right? It can be your spiritual yeah. growth. It could be your physical health. Yeah. It could be some combination of all of that and mm-hmm. more. How do you get people to let go of these kind of traditional ideas of what growth means? That's a really great question. Well, many of the people who I work with are already earning at a high level, right? And so for them, it's often that growth is they want to have more harmonious relationships with their family, for example. Uh, I had one client who was extremely successful in her sales organization she wanted to recalibrate to be able to spend long weekends with her husband regularly, okay? So at a certain point, people will also look at the different areas of, your, of their life where they're open to growth. They're open to experiencing more of life. You are right that in our culture, you know, money is um, a big part of that achievement journey, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm a I mean, I am all for more money, (laughs) earning more money, having more money. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Right. But we also know that that money alone doesn't bring you more happiness, right? It doesn't in itself bring you more contentment or joy or ease. So you're focusing, you you have a lot of um, already successful clients in the sense that one would look at them financially and say, they are set. Okay, they're good. Mm-hmm. But So what about someone who's kind of in the mix and they're not quite there yet where they can kick back and say, I can retire and not worry about money. Um, and that includes me because I'm still rebuilding my life from Armageddon. But how do you couch that or frame that for people who are still in the mix? They, they need to continue like they don't have the option, like maybe this woman has achieved enough, enough success and flexibility where she can say, okay, I am going to take Fridays off or, or Monday, whatever, for my long weekend. But because she's in a power position in her profession or in mm-hmm. her career or in her company, she isn't going to have to ask too many people about that. She has some autonomy. What if you're not there quite yet? You're still climbing the mountain. Do these same tools apply to you? And, and how, what's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're still climbing the mountain, and by the way, many of my clients are very successful, but they're still climbing the mountain, right? So it is important to have a clear target. Starts with getting a vision. So when when I ask people, come up with the 30 things that you want, personal and professional, then I ask them, like, literally paint a picture. What do you want your life to look like in three years? What's that movie of your life, so to speak? And then to pick a goal, right? Something that ideally is measurable, but you know, more happiness is measurable. That's a feeling that we either have or we don't have, right? But something like money, like I want to reach, you know, this level in terms of my total compensation is a type of very measurable because we can measure numbers, right? So it's so important to have a clear goal that as you get to it is going to get you closer to the vision. 
And then I work with my clients to make sure that they are developing the mindset and the habits. Habits is part of our part of mindset, right? We are multitudes of habits. Habits yes. impact our behavior. We're only going to be able to change our lives when we change our behavior, right? So it doesn't matter where somebody is on the you know economic spectrum, you could say. The concepts are, are very universal. And we all have habits. And that's what our habits form the infrastructure of our lives, right? Yes. Because we're doing the same thing over and over again. And that's what's kind of building our infrastructure, good or bad. Because I know, you know, I do believe men and women have similar but different journeys. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, how do these habits differ from challenges, you know, for women? Yeah. How do women's challenges differ from high achieving men that they might face in their careers? Like, where, what, what are they, what's different between men and women in that regard? Yeah, yeah. Or are they different? Yeah, well, there are a lot of similarities. I have seen, on the whole, there are some differences that I will say show up pretty consistently in my women clients, not always, sometimes in my, my male clients, okay? So, um, number one is, especially for, for women who are working in organization or corporate environments, although this absolutely applies if you're a, a business owner and entrepreneur as well, is number one is have those clear goals, have that vision, and then you've got to be living it and articulating it. Women fall into the pattern of doing a great job, but neglecting to build their careers. Mm. Right. Interesting. Being very focused on sort of expertise, really doing an outstanding job, but not positioning themselves for future growth. Right. So, so that's where, and then also making sure that you're communicating the vision, your vision of growth, including where you want to go in your career. If that means, you know, people, women will sometimes come to me and say, I was passed over for a promotion. This is like the second year in a row that I was passed over for a promotion. And then as I dig deeper, I come to find out that she never informed anyone that she- She was interested. Exactly, right? Too many women expect people to reward us when in fact, at certain levels, right? I mean, when you're a, a junior person, even mid-level, you can get a nice pat on your head and be recognized for what you did. But as you rise in the leadership, you're expected to advocate for yourself. I think that is so true. And I mean, I did a podcast recently with um, a gal called Shifta Khalili, and she mm -hmm. was someone who put herself up for a job that on paper she didn't look particularly qualified for. I mean, she was in the zone. And it was on the board of her organization and she just applied for it. She ended up getting it and she got a 38% increase in her pay. But if she hadn't asked for that job, because on paper, she was kind of a borderline candidate. I want to ask you a question because what you say about women, you know, absolutely doing a phenomenal job in their, in their jobs, right? But not having the vision for their careers. Do you think that's linked to the confidence versus competence kind of thing that women deal with, they have to be 100% confident in their competence. So they will try to be perfect in everything they do. And so maybe they get hung up on just being perfect in their current job without being visionary. And how do we teach women to be visionary? Because I think that's the only way you can progress and do what you're suggesting, which is, hey, I'd like that job. I think I right. could be good. And here are the reasons why. Why, why are we stuck on that and how do we fix that? Yeah. So, Kimberly, I think that for a lot of women, it's, it's socialization, right? And even in today's world, when I speak with young women, I still see this happening, that there is some level of, of programming that's happening to women and young women that, you know, we have to really be good at what we do. We have to be perfect, right? And it could also be that women among ourselves impose that on one another, right? So number one is knowing that, no, you don't have to be perfect. You have to be very good. I'm a huge believer in excellence. But if you want to rise in that leadership, 
the deal is that you've got to be able to prove and show that you can hire other excellent people. You don't have to be the one who does all the excellence, right? You've got to be able to lead and, and influence. So I will say, Kimberly, this is why I'm so honored that I get to speak here. This is why I do the work that I do. I host a lot of complimentary events. Um, I try to post on on YouTube like you do because I want to just get the word out that you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to have goals and a vision for where you want to go. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is really so inculcated in our brains because, you know, the narrative, and I say this all the time, is that we're supposed to be perfect little girls and we're supposed to, you know, just follow the orders and put a smile on our face and just, you know, be good soldiers, but don't aspire to anything more. And I am always mystified because there are more women getting bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and PhDs than men. And yet they still are not in as, they still have smaller percentage leadership roles by a lot. And part of it is on maybe traditional thinking within organizations, but part of it is also because we are not, you know, really being forceful or proactive in putting ourselves forward. No one else is going to do this for us. Okay. That's so right. this is the thing. Like, if you can't believe in the vision of where you want to go that, and, and then implement it, then you're not going to go anywhere. We know this is now like deeply embedded in all of our brains. And we're, and you and I are trying to un, untwist this crazy right. old fashioned thinking that can only continue to hurt women in their progress. So how do you help someone get over that? Yeah. You know, we all have subconscious mental programming. And I want to first emphasize, I am not a therapist. I'm a coach. I'm about, I'm a teacher. I'm about the future, about moving forward towards your most exceptional life possible. But it's so important. This goes back to what I was saying that I learned from one of my early mentors and teachers is about mindset and how your mind works. Because we have, you know, simplistically, you have your conscious mind and you have your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind controls over 90% of your behavior. That means for most people, even people who went to great schools, you are running on autopilot most of your day. I had no idea that was the case. 90%? Yep. Mm -hmm. And how does, okay, this might be beyond your remit, (laughs) but how does what's in our subconscious mind get there? Is that from like our past experience or being children or am I harking back to my three-year-old self? Yes. So, so yeah. So when you, you know, we have different stages of brainwave development. Okay. And under the age of seven, your brainwave development is such that your subconscious mind is wide open. And your subconscious mind is your emotional mind. So whatever you're picking up from your environment, especially if it's got emotional messages, like you'll never be good at math, you're too fat, you're stupid, whatever. That's why we have to be so vigilant around the language that we use with children, right? The conscious mind doesn't actually, that analytical mind doesn't actually develop until we're closer to adolescence. So that subconscious mind is wide open and basically other people, our environments, our societies, our cultures program us. And, you know, um, you mentioned the word self-image earlier. There is a picture. Each one of us has a picture. It is deep in your subconscious mind. It's an inner self-image. And that picture is so strong that it literally dictates who you are and what it is that you attract into your life. And by the time the average person is 35, they are basically a program. It's a program that's running you. Wow. Right? So how do we, so (laughs) some of us may have lucked out and had amazing programming. And, you know, honestly, as you were talking, I was like, well, I'm really happy that my mom was ahead of her time. And she's, she's 92 now. And Mm. she is and was a real badass. And, you know, I'm really, really glad she was my mom. Yeah. Yeah, She's a taskmaster. And she has some, she also had some crazy notions about, you know, the way people should look and, you know, women, that was part of her culture as well. Her generation. But, you know, these things do linger with us. So how do we deprogram ourselves? Like, how do we say, okay, this was kind of BS, some of it, 
this isn't really helping me. I need to like, you know, I need to just kind of change, change the channels up there. So how, how do we, how do we do that? What are some of the tools or exercises you know, what can we do? I, I'm mystified by this because I think it's so important. It is so important. Yeah. So, so basically the tools fall into, I would say, two key categories in the, in the way that I guide my clients. Number one is that you have to have a good, hard look at your habits, right? Because those habits are those that unconscious patterns that we're sometimes not even aware of. Now, a lot of most of us have some good habits. We stop at a red sign, right? We brush our teeth in the morning. We've got a everybody's got a lot of good habits. But it's those habits that are holding you back. So the way to look at it, what we do is you look at your results and you know describe those areas of your life where you don't like the results that you're getting. Because your results are a direct reflection of your mental programming and your habitual behavior. Our results don't lie. They are right. in direct feedback, okay? So that's one. And, you know, there's a university college study in London that was published a few years ago that says, based on research, that it takes 66 days to build a new habit. So just like coaching isn't for the faint of heart, Building new habits isn't for the faint of heart, right? And what I what what I recommend to my clients, and this sounds really hokey, but repetition is the way we create new neural pathways in our brains. So I instruct my clients that every single morning they've got to write out a phrase about that new habit. Because mm-hmm. over time it's just gonna keep sinking in and and after the 15th day where you're writing it out, but you're still not doing it, you'll be like, I think I better start doing this. Yeah, I'm getting tired of writing this. <laughs> getting tired of writing this and not actually doing it. So that's number one. And and I also recommend not more than one or two habits at a time. It's just going to be too overwhelming. Overload. Yeah. Right? But we all have lifetimes of habits to change. So, you know, there'll be plenty. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's funny because mm-hmm. when I lived in England for a long time, almost 14 years. And my children, I have three girls. Uh, they pretty much grew up there. Two mm-hmm. of them ultimately came to high school here, but one went right on to college from being educated in England. And one of the things I had tried to, we had to all deprogram ourselves from was everyone there, and the women especially, are always saying, I'm sorry. When, uh, sorry for what? You didn't do anything mm-hmm. wrong. Like, stop apologizing. And I said this to my older daughter in particular. I said, stop apologizing. You don't need to apologize for it. You never do anything wrong. So that, like, for some reason, yes. women, uh, it was not, like, it's a habit there. Yes. Um, anyone in the UK listening, uh, not a bad thing. <laughs> we have some really bad things that happen here, too, that we are raised with. But I think people are very like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, okay? Yes. I'm not sorry about anything. So that was something I had to break myself of saying, and certainly my eldest daughter, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for outing you on the sorry. Um, but right. yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. I think that it, you just become, it becomes a habit, but then it puts you in a very kind of not great position. Yes, Yes. And you need to recognize that that is a habit you need to break. So one is identifying those habits. And, right. And two, is there ever a time when maybe it's the other way around? Like maybe you have an overinflated view of certain things of yourself that are holding you back. Like how do you work with that? Yeah, so I, I have less of that challenge with my with my women clients, but it does periodically show up. And, and what can be most helpful there is to get sort of feedback from stakeholders, right? Because those are results too. How people see you is going to give you important feedback. And what's important here is that it's not just feedback from one other person, say, who you work with. It's got to be a large enough sample that you're going to see the pattern, Right. And that's why I have to say, in general, I'm not a great fan of having one person review your performance. Yeah. It's just uh-huh. not objective enough. Right. And so often, when somebody gets, you know, if 
And I think it's important to have this kind of confidential feedback. Feedback should be confidential. So somebody's, oh, so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said that. You want the feedback to be honest and open. And so confidential feedback is absolutely vital because then that person will will be getting it firsthand, (laughs) right? And and they'll see the common themes and where they've got to where they've and got people are willing to do that. They're willing to go ask people to kind of confidentially evaluate them. Well, no, not all people are willing to do that. In fact, you know, in my work, a lot of people come to me and they don't want their company to know that they're working with a coach. There's still some embarrassment around working with a coach. I personally think that people who are winners work with coaches, right? Yeah, but everybody still, needs a coach, I yeah. think. But there's still people. So to be honest, if the client is willing and and they work in an environment that is open to it, sometimes a company's HR department will do something like that. So it can be very helpful. Not not everybody agrees to it. But like I said, in my work, that's not the big, the main issue with women. Yeah, I think main, uh, I mean, again, I'm not like man-hating, but I do think men are way more confident and also a yes. lot of times just overshoot their wad. They just think they're better than they are because they they literally don't need to be perfect, which is why men who feel they have 60% of the qualifications for a job will put themselves forward where women won't. Um, It's that old HP study Mm -hmm. that we talk about a lot. So I had a period of time where, especially when I was in England and I knew I wanted to come back to the United States and my marriage was deteriorating and I wasn't able to do my profession there and yada, 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 where I was in therapy and my therapist said, you know, you have really low self-esteem. And I always thought of myself as this confident person, but I had just kind of gotten beaten down because I, I was not in control of my own destiny. And that left me feeling like I had no path forward. And then I had to create my vision, which somehow I did, which was, I need to move. Mm-hmm. I need to get out of here. I need to make some changes. I have no idea how I'm going to do that, but I need to get out. So if someone has a self-image that isn't beneficial to them, what can you recommend to them and are any exercises or techniques or thinking that help that can help them improve their self-image? Because if you don't feel good about yourself, you aren't going to have a vision. You aren't going to put yourself forward. You're just going to feel sad and depressed because that's how I felt for a long time. Right. And how do you break that cycle? What are the exercises? What can we do to really take a look at ourselves and say, you know what? I'm pretty awesome. I mean, in the sense that I can go do all these things. Right. Yeah. So actually, I was just talking to a client about exactly that this morning. And, you know, part of it is going to be our habits. We also have habitual thinking patterns. And in fact, I recently heard psychologist um, Price Pritchett, who asked, What's more important, less negative thinking or more positive thinking? Positive thinking. (laughs) You would think, right? And what he said was that actually less negative thinking is more important because those critical voices, those unloving voices that we hear inside of ourselves, that beating ourselves up, it's so demotivating. It contributes to that low self-esteem, right? So part of the creating new habits also means creating your new habitual thinking habits. If you think about our culture and our society, we are such a judgmental, critical, right? But what about the, the, the conversations in your own head? So in the first month that I start working with clients, I am continually interrupting them to help reframe that negative self-talk. And that alone, just in the first month, starts to lift self-esteem. And I also say that one of the most important things is that you have to learn to love yourself. Right. Right. So true. Wherever you are and stop comparing yourself to others. Do not compare yourself to anyone and learn to love yourself. When you were asking me, what are the changes that people can make and tools? Well, the self-image work is around 
you know, everyone's self-image gets them to a certain place. And that's often when somebody will come to me. They got passed over for a promotion. They don't know how to get to that next level of leadership. They're not earning at the level that they they think they they want, even though they're already earning, earning a lot. And so we have a close look at that inner self-image because you will never outperform your self-image. You're going to have to create a new one. And this is where the exercise is. um, And by the way, if anyone wants, I have a free exercise on YouTube. It's a three-part masterclass called Your High-Performing Self-Image. And And so when they go on YouTube, what are they looking for? That or your name? It's actually hosted by a, an, or an investor and entrepreneur organization called Connectpreneur. So if they look up Connectpreneur and they type in my name and they type in self-image, any of those, and they should be mm-hmm. able to come up to it. It's a three-part masterclass. It's free. It's quite intensive, but it's that journey of you know, getting that picture of the vision of the future, where you want to go. And then starting to project forward, well, what does that mean about my future self? Who is she? Who do I have to start becoming in order to step into my future self, to, to bring on my future, I should say, right? And this isn't about living in the future. It's about bringing your future self into your present Right. right. So you're working backwards to get to your future self by exactly. determining what you want that to look like, right? Exactly. So this is what I tell people about budgeting. Figure out where you're at, but first of all, figure out where you want to be and then we'll work right. backwards and that's going to affect how we budget and plan and so on and so forth. Right. And so I think a lot of this, when you're talking, I was thinking to myself, okay, so the other thing is, is that we need not to let other people define our goals because we don't need to be sheep, right? What's right for one person may not be right for you. So part of the exercise, I think, might be embracing the fact that we're all individual spirits with individual yes. things that we want to accomplish. That's the beauty of life, right? We can all learn from each other because we're all different. If we were all the same, I mean, how boring would that be? We would never grow as a, as a society. So That's how right. do we get people to say, okay, I'm not going to follow the norm or whatever we think the norm is. I'm just going to embrace what I want and I'm going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to embrace that concept? Because mm-hmm. I think we are just creatures of habit and we are inculcated, you know, we're just inundated with social media, TV, things on the internet. It's just like we can't get away from information, what everyone else thinks that we should be or look like or do or accomplish. How do we get people to embrace their unique visions Mm -hmm. without being influenced by all these things? So that goes back to, you know, when I said, um, I asked my my clients to sit down and make those lists of what do you really want? What would you really, really love to experience more of, share more of, have more of, right? Allow yourself to dream, even if right now you have no idea how, how it would ever happen. Because you've got to be going after a life that you're going to love. Uh, Steve Jobs has a quote that I constantly quote because it's exactly on this. He says, when you're going after a vision that you care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you, right? And that goes back to inspiration, in spirit, right? You are aligned with what is deep inside of you, that part of you that wants to grow. So what happens is, you know, just like we are willing to climb over mountains, dig ditches, whatever, when we're romantically in love, right? We're using that same concept here. We're in love with what it is that we want. And so it becomes like a North Star. And um, you know, because you are a, a, a financial advisor, I, I do want to mention this doesn't mean that you start spending money that you don't have, for example. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that you are guided by this goal, this vision that you're so in love with that you're willing to do what it takes, speaking up more, standing up for yourself, 
learning negotiations, learning more public speaking, whatever it might be to help get you to that place. That's a really good point because in order to grow, you have to work on it, okay? This involves some work. You need to look at your life as it is. Uh, I'm going to do this 30 and 30 list. I am because I'm intrigued as to what I'm going to write down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that one of them is going to involve going to base camp at Everest. But aside from Mm -hmm. that, there's many other things I think I want to do professionally as well. I mean, I, I feel some days I'm just getting started at my ripe old age. Because I I like to work. I love my job. I love doing this, which is, you know, kind of related to my job. And that's my purpose. You know, I believe people have been put on this earth to flourish and do it through productivity, whatever that means. That doesn't necessarily mean making billions of dollars. It means being productive and living the kind of life that makes you feel really good about yourself when you wake up. So we are all individuals who can really have very interesting individualistic lives. And I I hope that people can really understand that working hard on this stuff is so important because it will open up your life and you will flourish. Exactly. Exactly. And one other thing before we wrap up, I think that I want to talk about really quickly is how does gratitude fit into this as far as helping you kind of get over all the negative stuff and then try to start formulating mm. this. Okay, I see my in my mind's eye in 10 years, this is what I'd love for my life to look like, personally and professionally. But how does gratitude fit into this, if at all? Yeah, great question. And gratitude, speaking of tools, is such an important and simple tool, and we don't have to pay anything for it. We, we can tap into it, right? So the way that gratitude helps is that And, you know, it's not enough to say make a list of the 10 things that you're grateful for, but you can start with that. Make a list of three things, 10 things that you're grateful for. But what matters is to feel it. You've got to feel it. Because remember, your subconscious mind is your emotional mind, and your your subconscious mind is in every cell of your body. So we want that feeling to permeate your whole body. And gratitude is basically signaling, I already have so much. I'm already so filled with abundance, right? And the fact is, we do. I mean, just in the most simple terms, I have beautiful nature that I look out to from my windows. I have a roof over my head. Kimberly, you and I have this amazing technology we can connect to. There is so much about our lives that is actually going right. But the most important aspect about it is that, and we didn't even get into this today. This would have to be a whole separate conversation. Everything is energy, right? And Mm -hmm. our feelings, we're always emitting an energy depending on our feelings, Okay, we're doing a podcast on that because I'm so interested mm. in that topic. I'm <laughs> going to hit you up. We're Absolutely. doing a part two. We just decided now. Absolutely. Energy is everything. I mean, mm-hmm. it's true. Like, you know you feel it when you feel it, right? Right. Or sometimes you get a feeling. Some t- well, it may, I don't know whether it's intuition. And I, that's the other thing. I We need a whole other hour. Yes. <laughs> to talk about how does intuition fit into this, Right. right? I'm a big believer in there's somewhere on the graph where intuition and just, you know, knowing what I know crosses, but I act a lot on intuition. And I do believe that there are like energy fields around people. You can feel it. You can feel also energy in your life when something's about to change or you just know it, you just feel it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to explore that topic with you more Mm -hmm. because I think that's so important. But when I do my gratitude list, I also thank God every day for I am thankful that I have the opportunities that have been put in front of me and the mindset to try to capitalize on opportunities, whether I win or lose. I don't know what that characteristic Mm -hmm. is called, but I'm pretty open-minded to it. And that's like one of the traits that I'm I'm actually grateful for having that trait. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us need to like look at ourselves and really be thankful for some of the really intangible traits that we have that we don't really think about. We just kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. And we're busy focusing on the negative stuff, right? Right. And we shouldn't do that because it, it will really impact your future self. That is right. That is right. So, yeah. so okay. Mm-hmm. So how do people find you, get in touch with you? And I also, 
I would highly recommend for everyone to look at the your high performing self image uh, with Connectpreneur on YouTube because it's free yes. and it's a masterclass. So if you want to kind of get jump started on this and see what this exercise is like, that sounds like a really good thing. I'm going to check it out myself. But how do people find you? What should you know? What can what should how can they connect with you if they want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So anyone who wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, please, please do. I have a private Facebook group called Success Mindset Series with Stephanie Hessler, where I speak every Wednesday. And you're going to be my guest there, Kimberly. I'm going to be on there. I'm so excited. Yeah, which I'm really excited about. And it's it's, uh, sharing these success principles. Basically, every week there's learning in the group. And I have a YouTube channel as well and a website, stephaniehessler.com. Well, check all of that out because this stuff is this isn't the stuff you can learn in books because it's not linear. And those are the things I think that can change your life. I mean, I look back to how I have evolved since my very low self-esteem days. I felt like a victim. And that was my problem. I had to get out of the victim mindset. And it, I was working with a therapist, but she was just like, you are not a victim. And I, and it took me years. I mean, literally, it took me several years to finally, the penny to drop and me to work with her and talk about what that meant and how I viewed myself and also having a vision for the future. It was my vision for the future, exactly like Stephanie said, that pulled me out of where I was to move halfway across the world to California where I knew no one to start a life that I had envisioned. And if you told me that I could have ever accomplished that, I would like years before I did it, I would have looked at you like you had four heads, like how the hell am I going to do that? And you know what? I did it. Mm -hmm. And it was just because what you said, that vision became so powerful to me about what my life could look like that it literally pulled me mm-hmm. to California. Mm. It wasn't pretty how I got here, but I got here in the end. It was it was actually Amazing. quite messy, but I put yep. my mind to it and I put the things in motion and I kept seeing in my head what my life could look like. And man, am I glad I did it because yes. it was the best thing I ever did. I had to go mm. through a lot of not good stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. In, even when I was going through it, I kept thinking, but this is what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And some oh, people I were like, why it. do you want to do that? You don't know anybody there. You don't, you don't have a, you know, you're in the middle of it. You're going to be in the middle of a divorce. You don't have a job. And I was just like, I just know this is the right thing for me. I've researched it. I looked at it. I know this is where I want to live. That was on my list of things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And since then, you've also written this book, right? You have your podcast. I mean, you're out yeah. there having impact. Oh my gosh. I'm, I, that's amazing. I love that. Oh, uh, and, and you know what? I still have more work to do. Like, I, as I talk we to you, I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I need to book some <laughs> sessions with Stephanie because, I mean, there's so many things I want to do with this platform. But yet, you know, I have my wealth management practice, which I love, and I love my clients, and I love helping clients in real time. And it's like there's only so many hours in a day. And some days I think, oh, I'm never going to be able to accomplish everything I want to do with this platform. And then I have to say, wait a minute, you know, like, take a breath, girl, mm-hmm. you know, things aren't going to happen overnight. You need to pace yourself. But honestly, we can always grow from mentoring and coaching yes. because we're ne- we're not static. And as we as we achieve things, we want to achieve more things, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So Stephanie, you are kind of an angel out there helping people to really get through, like take the noise out of it that we get as a society That's and right. just really start to focus on what we want. And for everyone listening, please... Give yourself that gift. Mm-hmm. Whether you contact Stephanie, try and maybe and figure out how you do the Facebook group because you can, you know, become part of the Facebook group, do the YouTube video, find a mentor, whatever that is, start thinking about your vision, get rid of the negativity, and you know, love yourself enough to do this because it will change your life. And it's going to be exhilarating, even though it'll be a little messy at times, it's going to be exhilarating. A hundred percent. Yeah. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your expertise, your your guidance. I think this is a really important podcast and I want to have you on again because I think I'd this topic that. of energy, that everything is energy, mm-hmm. I really love this topic. So we're going to do this sooner. I'm going to ask Good. to book you again. 
I'd love Sorry. that. Sorry, I'm needy. Yeah, I need more I'd Stephanie. <laughs> I need more Stephanie Hessler. So um, anyway, thanks everyone for joining us today. I hope you've loved it as much as I have. And until next time. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.